Today on the Topping Show, Vivek on climate change goes viral. GM execs push back against the UAW with full interviews on disinformation and articles. You decide who is right. Budweiser personality tweet is, oddly enough, a picture of a horse and not Dylan Mulvaney, though it is still visually ratioed on the Twitter. Russell Brand supporters don't believe the mainstream media pushing the rape charges 15 plus years later after the alleged fact. GM and Stellantis are both bringing about more layoffs due to the UAW strike. A Ford executive is angry the UK government is abandoning ice energy this quick enough, apparently. Philip Morris may get out of the pharmaceutical industry. Hotels are calling on robots to fill staff jobs. Neuralink may have, or actually will have, human trials soon. And craft signals are being recalled due to a choking hazard. All of that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He, he's me, you see, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. And we've extended our fun promo of giving away a free flamethrower with every September purchase, which of course you can mount to an AR-15 like all awesome accessories can. Go to toppingtechnologies.com to learn a little bit more. Lastly, for the intro, we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September, so we can really appreciate it if you take the time to click that button. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Philip Morris considering abandoning the pharmaceutical business. I should say, yet again, this is one of the most diverse companies if you look at their portfolio throughout the decades. Back in the day, you've had this kind of pendulum swing between more regulation and a little less regulation with the tobacco industry. Well, years ago, this is the same company that actually bought a grocery chain, a sea transportation company, a oil company, and a myriad of other things as well. So needless to say, this company's had this pendulum swing back and forth, and it looks like a few fiscal quarters ago, they invested in pharmaceuticals, now they're thinking they might want to get out. Now, it looks like they want to sell their biggest stake in a specific pharmaceutical company by the name of Vectora Group, and this is according to the Wall Street Journal, and it looks like Victoria is one of three pharmaceutical companies that were acquired by Philip Morris in 2021 for a little over $2 billion combined. And interestingly enough, all these companies happen to, they, they just happen to make um, treatments for smoke-related respiratory diseases. Yeah, let, let's just let that sink in for a moment here. Kind of seems like a negative incentive you're giving yourself because if you were to inherently make the core product less healthy, you would then profit with the other business because there would be a greater need for smoking-related respiratory disease cures. And a lot of people didn't really understand the logic behind this. And there are a lot of folks who just kind of felt a little squirrely when it comes to this being a morality, a little, a little crossing streams, as they might say from the Ghostbusters film. Now, it looks like... Of course, the other critics would also appropriately criticize them for this incentives to PMI to increase the harm through smoking because they might cause them to profit again through the diseases. So I'm by far no means unique in my assessment of that, but it seems like they're going to finally spin it off and sell their investment in it, which I think would make sense. If anything, if you look at the categories of smoking products and accessories, I would think they'd increase their stake in more of the vape-related categories as that industry has exponentially increased even with the increased rules and regulations that have kneecapped a couple of companies. Comes to mind Juul, which is the one that had the 
biggest lawsuit against them. They've had to pay out hundreds of millions of dollars in settlements. But it is one of those things where it'll be interesting to see. You know, they're getting out of the pharmaceutical company. What will Philip Morris buy next? Let's see. Maybe a car company. Or, or, or a, a snowmobile making company. It's one of those things where that's not all too crazy to think, given their history. Granted, we'll see if this... We'll see if they wise up and maybe kind of stick to their core competencies and things that are somewhat in the realm of their industry. But we'll see. Maybe they'll do another curveball next fiscal quarter. Time shall tell. Other interesting business use, you have hotels utilizing robots due to a lack of staffing supply. Now, the United States has a myriad of issues when it comes to the supply and demand with labor. One of the issues uniquely in the United States, well, in many countries, but not, eh, I'd say a good, a fair amount of countries, is the United States pays a lot of money for people to not work, which, yeah, the incentive structure in the United States is quite perverse, to say the least, in many cases. Now, it looks like while other industries, after the lockdowns with the government mandates, with all the fun pandemic that we had to go through, most other industries, as soon as the government started to decrease a little bit of the incentive structure of giving out all these handouts, people started to go back to work. Now, it looks like the staffing companies with hotels, they're a little bit more unique. They're missing about 230,000 workers. And presumably they didn't just disappear. So they either are staying home to get paid to do nothing or they went to another industry, presumably. Either of which are not good for the hotel staff or hotel industries because they still need some folks. Or do they? It looks like they're going to be increasing their investment in the robotics communities. Now, they claim that they need to automate such tasks such as check-in and cleaning, as well as helping... That's going to help drive the robotics industry. That's again, this is according to global data. They project that industry to be 200, I don't know, 216 billion dollars by 2030, which is closer than we think in terms of the you know overall time frame. Fiscal quarters just go by that quick. And they claim that the hotel industry is wanted to eliminate front end office jobs within five years. Now, there are many jobs and many things and tasks that are almost like in seemingly just perfect for automation and AI to take over. It'll be interesting to see from a consumer perspective, do you and I, do we really care when we go to the front desk if we see a human or is it going to become like a Walmart with the grocery checkout where you just go in, you scan your stuff or in the case of the hotel, probably have some touchscreen technology like an airport where instead of buying a ticket at the airport, you have those kiosks and they pretty much do it all for you. And with hotels, a good, a good argument might be, well, why not do the same thing there? So instead of having a human check you in, you just have a little kiosk machine, swipe your credit card, press a couple buttons, sign 25 different waivers, presumably, and then you get checked in. And we'll see if the Roombas unite and try to overthrow the company by unionizing. Mark my words, there will be a robot union, as hilarious as that might sound. I'm only half joking. Because there are countries who actually try to give human rights to trees and other inanimate objects and animals. So, it might sound crazy, but it might just be the next thing. As bizarre as that might sound. Maybe. Probably. Usually starts in Europe. But, as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting business use you have. Neuralink will have the first human implant soon. Now, it looks like Elon's company has received an official approval from the FDA to begin clinical trials in humans. And they'll begin, it sounds like next fiscal year in May, and is currently recruiting volunteers. So, if you are so inclined to have a drill boring into the back of your head, 
taking out about a dime diameter hole and jabbing that in there. I'm sure very I'm sure it'll be very very dainty and very smooth. But still, just the idea I'm sure will horrify some folks. Just literally drilling into someone's brain and shoving a chip in there. I know it's fancier than that, but rudimentary speaking, it almost sounds like a lobotomy from back in the day. But granted, this is probably much more advanced. Well, it is much more advanced. Now, they claim that the Wireless Brain Computer Interface, or the BCI, they claim that the precise robotically implanted brain-computer interface, the PRIME, no affiliation, of course, with uh, Logan Paul, with the Prime brand. This is a whole separate thing. Not related to energy drinks. Now, I did have to fact-check that. And it says the study will evaluate the safety of Neuralink's implant N1 and the surgical robot R1 as assess whether the device can help paralyze people control external devices with their thoughts. Can't help but think of all the sci-fi films. Kind of sounds like the Matrix a little bit when Neo's outside the Matrix and uses his god power basically to control the robots and shut them down. Imagine that, someone's visiting you, and they just want to turn off your Alexa, they could zap it. Well, not like Star Wars or that, but you know, you use their brain, go in there and hack it, break it in half, presumably. So this has the potential to be revolutionary, of course. Now they continue to say, quote, the first human patient will soon receive the Neuralink device. This ultimately has the potential to restore full body movement, unquote. This posted by Musk on Twitter, formerly, oh, I was gonna say, formerly Twitter, now X. Which again, in marketing, we'll see if that's good for them long-term. It still is a curveball. Every article I read, it's always the delineation. They always mention the two copies, Twitter and X, but I moderately digress. Now they continue to say, quote, in the long-term Neuralink hopes to play a role in AI risk, civilization risk reduction by improving human to AI, comma, and human to human bandwidth by several orders of magnitude, unquote. Elon continued to say, quote, imagine if Stephen Hawking had this, unquote, which, is perhaps a good and bad thing. The possibility is quite literally endless. One of the main silly things I might think of, if you have your brain directly connected to your computer, well, imagine you get, you get an email from work and your first intake is, when you see the email, and it's from someone you don't like, or maybe it's just, it's not framed or it's not worded quite nicely, your first thought is go to hell. And imagine if you think that and it just sends it automatically. There's got to be a lot of safeties put in place to make sure it just doesn't automatically send exactly what you think. And of course, those who still, you know, actually want a modicum of privacy in their life, this is just the final nail in the coffin, so to say, because you will have no privacy ever at all. And from a cybersecurity perspective, have fun getting viruses on your brain. Because there's no such thing as a secure system. There are systems that are more secure than others, but given enough time, you can hack anything. I mean, we just saw the MGM, one of the largest casinos on the planet. I mean, they seemingly have unlimited resources. They print money for a living, basically. So, but they actually were breached because of a human error. Because the bad guys tricked them. There's always tricks you can play. It's the ultimate cat and mouse game, which is why I find it so utterly fascinating. But would I ever get the implant? Yeah, hell no. But that's just me. The other issue, when a lot of people are talking about the implants and how it might hurt society from a cultural perspective or accelerate the cultural divide. Well, when they first come out, sure, right now, the intention is to help people restore, help people who have disabilities restore their functions. But before long, it will be consumer grade, so to say, and people will get it not just to increase their capabilities from being disabled to fully abled, they're gonna want superhuman capabilities. 
And imagine if you, if you had the neuro chip planted in your brain, what if you could perform 20 to 30 times more effective than someone who doesn't have the implant? The other people are gonna be left in the dust. Imagine being, just, imagine being just five times more effective at work. Being able to type so quickly because you're not typing, you're literally just inputting it by thinking it. That's gonna be a huge breakthrough in terms of human efficiencies. And it'll be interesting to see uh, there's a lot of human rights advocates who are concerned about, well, not only the privacy, but what about that perceived inequality where, granted, the people with more resources will be able to buy the product first, and they'll be able to use the Neuralink to make themselves more productive at work, maybe think of new business ideas, maybe trade stocks exponentially better than the computers can. So there are a lot of fascinating variables when it comes to this topic. Overall, do you think this will improve humanity overall? Is this being overhyped in terms of the capabilities and the ramifications? Or do you think it'll just kind of sizzle out and be, it'll kind of work a little bit, but won't have a huge impact on the culture? It'll be interesting to see. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Budweiser. They tweeted a personality picture. And oddly enough, it was a picture of a horse and not Dill Mulvaney. Many were shocked. Uh, I, uh, but of course, it was still officially roasted, or as the youth might say, ratioed on the Twitter sphere. It looks like within nine hours, the tweet got a mere 6,332 views and 107 likes, presumably from 107 people who still work there. Well, I'm kidding. I know they have more in place than that. Maybe 200 now? I know, I'm kidding, partially. Let's just say they've had to do some layoffs due to their business plan of the century by hiring Dill Mulvaney. Again, someone who has an average user on TikTok of 15 years old, that's Dylan's audience. And... Of course, yeah, it makes sense. Um, probably not a great brand ambassador for beer, which of course, many people might, they might claim Bud Light is so diluted and so poor quality, you wouldn't consider it a beer, but it legally is considered a beer. In the United States, you have to be 21 to purchase alcohol. Now, interestingly enough, you look at the tweet and they haven't censored as much as I thought they would. And even more unusual, there seem to be one or two real comments, dare I say. We will do some investigating right now. For example, the first comment says, yes, still drinking Bud Draft at a local bar. This is from someone called Yacon Franco. And two people apparently liked that comment. Of the 191 people who viewed it. Seems suspicious, so let's do some investigating. Mr. Yacon Franco has five followers on the Twitter. All right. Looks like he joined September 2022. That's. And in terms of his activity, he's replied to that and the Bud Light sweepstakes. Something called Burning Man. So we could probably guess his political affiliation. And. What the ruddy pictures of him? I the pronouns are not listed, so I don't think YouTube can cancel this if I'm wrong. But I'm making an educated guess. Nevertheless, it looks like this person is a hippie in terms of they literally have a psychedelic. I don't know what was that stupid band my parents used to listen to, the Grateful Dead T-shirt, presumably smiling, and holding a Budweiser in a aluminum can bottle 
So this person does look real. Even more shocking, some of these thoughts, well, not educated, but they are real thoughts. I can't help but notice this person, I look at all their activity and it's all Grateful Dead and Budweiser pictures and repost. So this person is real, albeit kind of cliche, but the person is real. Now, of course, let's see the other options. We have someone by the name of David Archer saying, I think Dylan likes the horses. That person got nine likes and out of 139 views. Now we have do we do have a recurring feature, Mr. Rich Mooney with the analytics. And I appreciate his post especially. Now he responded to the Budweiser tweet and he said, quote, does the fact that next month's Phoenix Pride Festival presented by Bud Light features drag shows for children and anti-Catholic Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence affect your beer choice, unquote. And his poll, based on 35 votes, and the options being, that's Bud Light for me, or no Bud for me. The looks like they came in at 85.7% no Anheuser-Busch InBev product for me. Which is interesting enough, based on the poll, he's asking, you know, the fact that they're doing this Pride show with drag shows for kids. 14.3% of people who voted said they would buy a Budweiser product because they're sponsoring drag shows for children. I can't fathom what the logic is behind that opinion, but concerned to say the least, if we, I was gonna say, definitely maybe warrant some investigations by um, agencies. Now, you also have someone by the name of Steven Joseph saying, does anyone still drink Budweiser? Not hating, I just don't see him anymore. This person got seven likes and 227 views. Not too shabby. And looks like most of the comments, no one's saying by the name of Tango Charlie. This person says, Pfft. so PFFFT by Yangling. It's an American beer. This person got five likes out of 80 views. And most of the other replies are gifts. Uh, Mr. GH, which it's quite a concise name, I'll give him that. GH says, quote, no, here is your personality pick, unquote. And that is a picture of Dylan Mulvaney wearing a crop top, painted fingernails, short shorts, and the text is Dylan speaking, saying normalize the bulge, which refers to the, again, ear muscles if you have children listening, refers to the crotch and Dylan identifying as a trans woman so he's born, Dylan was born a man, but was wearing the clothing of a woman and the normalization of the bulge implying you could still have your, your junk and be a woman. I need to buy more dictionaries or the urban dictionaries update for all these fascinating cultural phenomenons. So you actually make, well, some people say it's not supposed to make sense by just the nature of it, but it's hard to articulate what's going on in some of these GIFs and pictures. So I, let's see here. Oh, of course they hid stuff that's offensive. So of course, leaning into the censorship as always, Budweiser. You have someone who took the old picture of the Budweiser when they used to have, you know, good, smart advertising people. One was with the three frogs and it was infamous. I mean, people love the commercial where you had the three frogs and they kind of croak and they say Budweiser. And this person actually just photoshopped, or they changed the text, so instead of saying Budweiser, it says, again, earmost for the children, but F-er. 
some would say hilarious and accurate. Another person with their free with their freedom and their text being censored, someone took the Bud Light can and they they photoshopped the top so it says transmission fluid. Again, trying to I guess insinuating the new core audience or attempted core customer base. So they tried they tried to tweet. They tried. They made the attempt. You gotta give them that. Budweiser did attempt to tweet. Or in this case, I guess nowadays you call it post on the X. From a marketing perspective, it just doesn't sound as hip as the youth might say. And it's just even just a picture of horses. It looks like more of a vintage one, horses in a bud. But needless to say, that horse, the leg is broken. And I believe they might have to take it out behind the barn and put him down. Unfortunately, they, I mean, it's one of those things where the horse is prancing around, the horse dug a hole, and then presumably ran into the hole. Perhaps a apt metaphor for the whole situation of the business blunder of the century that is Bud Light. But I partially digress. Other interesting cultural news, you have Russell Brand. His supporters do not believe the mainstream media trying to cancel him. Now, it looks like Russell Brand is a British comedian and apparently used to be a very promiscuous leftist, as politically speaking. And back then, the mainstream media loved this guy. He was everywhere, as popular as he could possibly be. And he apparently claims, I guess at the time, he claimed to be proudly who have slept with a thousand women. And he said it was all consensual. Now, it looks like, what is it, 15 years later, well, some of them are starting to change their tune. It looks like four women claim that he took advantage of them. Granted, one of them specified and said, well, I thought it was consensual. Then days later, I changed my mind. And then 15 years later, they changed their mind. Or they continue that mind path, I suppose. So it looks like, I believe, one has come forward in terms of using their name. And can't help but notice the timing of this situation. So I believe one happened 15 years ago. One happened... 16 and 17 years ago and no one no one said anything back then the media never covered it and can't help but notice now that he's more of a independent journalist many people would say he's politically independent libertarian maybe on the right depending on the topic he's gained a lot of heat for covering things like the pharmaceutical industries and calling them out on their shortcomings many people are speculating that one reason alone may be one of the things that is getting him culturally canceled. Now, it looks like YouTube immediately, just, just the allegations coming forth, no hard evidence yet. Now, interestingly enough, it appears one of the girls did get a, and I believe this word gets me demonetized anyway, but we're almost demonetized, we'll get there soon. Um, one of the girls took a R-word kit, and apparently there's evidence somewhere I have no idea how long the evidence stays fresh, but just with the allegations, like right now he has not been, he has not had his day in court to defend himself. And, but nowadays, unfortunately, the United States has devolved so much, you're just immediately canceled. Guilty beyond reasonable doubt off the bat. Instead of being innocent until proven guilty, the United States has continued to devolve, culturally speaking, into guilty until proven innocent. And even if you are proven innocent, you're still, your life is still destroyed. Very similar to how Americans used to all believe, I might not agree with what you're saying, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it. Another 
foundation of America presumably crumbling and eviscerating to nothing, unfortunately. Now, YouTube immediately demonetized him. So he can't make any of his money on the YouTube. And presumably that's a majority of his income. I know he still does stand-up comedy as well. But on that note, Paramount Plus pulled his special from their platform. And oddly enough, so two entertainment companies dropped, his agent dropped him as well. Now YouTube, he didn't break any of their rules. They just dropped him just because of the image, just because all the headlines basically. Now, interesting enough in terms of the hypocrisy of YouTube, and again, that's a, a never-ending topic I could cover in nauseum, but Cardi B is still on YouTube making money. Now, granted, she is one of the most famous musicians. I kind of cringe just saying that. She's, I don't know, has a nice way of saying morally vacuous as well as intelligently vacuous as well. Well, that's not too shabby, but she actually brags openly and publicly about drugging men and stealing from them and being a prostitute, which is presumably why she is lauded by the media because they love promiscuity and they think it's empowerment, just like that, just like the the song WAP, which, from my perspective, owning a tech company, I thought was about wireless access points because we sell wireless access points all the time. But nevertheless, that was not what the song was about, as far as I'd find. And interestingly enough, she's still on the platform making money, even though she broke the law. She drugged people and robbed them. Yet society thinks, oh yeah, that's great. That's empowerment. Go, you go, girl, as they would clichély say. Now, Russell Brand did have a quick rebuttal, or rather, he came out with a quick note, and it's only about two and a half minutes. So I thought it'd be helpful to play it for a little bit. In terms of how big he is on YouTube, he has over 6.64 million subscribers. That's huge. He easily makes, I would guess, venture to say, a very good living off of his broadcasting ability on YouTube. So now apparently he can still post on the platform, but he can't make any money off of it, which if that's your main mode of income, it seems like they're trying to hurt him Obviously, some might say. So without too much further ado, we will play Mr. Russell Brand. Hello there, you awakening wonders. Now, this isn't the usual type of video we make on this channel where we critique, attack, and undermine the news in all its corruption, because in this story, I am the news. I've received two extremely disturbing letters, or a letter and an email, one from a mainstream media TV company, one from a newspaper listing a litany of extremely egregious and aggressive attacks, as well as some pretty stupid stuff, like uh, my community festival should be stopped, that I shouldn't be able to attack mainstream media narratives on this channel. But amidst this litany of astonishing, rather baroque attacks are some very serious allegations that I absolutely refute. These allegations pertain to the time when I was working in the mainstream, when I was in the newspapers all the time, when I was in the movies. And as I've written about extensively in my books, I was very, very promiscuous. Now, during that time of promiscuity, the relationships I had were absolutely always consensual. I was always transparent about that then, almost too transparent. And I'm being transparent about it now as well. And to see that transparency metastasized into something criminal that I absolutely deny makes me question is there another agenda at play? 
particularly when we've seen coordinated media attacks before, like with Joe Rogan, when he dared to take a medicine that the mainstream media didn't approve of. And we saw a spate of headlines from media outlets across the world. You Very true. When he took ivermectin, they immediately went into the dark treasure trove of Joe Rogan content to try to find some things that made him look bad. They actually even edited the actual image of Joe Rogan to make him look sick. So CNN famously changed the tint of Joe Rogan's skin to make him look sick when he was taking the ivermectin and he was saying he was feeling better. Using the same language. I'm aware that you guys have been saying in the comments for a while, watch out Russell, they're coming for you, you're getting too close to the truth, Russell Brand did not kill himself. I know that a year ago there was a spate of articles, Russell Brand's a conspiracy theorist, Russell Brand's right wing. I'm aware of news media making phone calls, sending letters. <laughs> of all the things he is, he is most certainly not right wing. I, he might have one or two opinions that fall more right of center, but I would say he's much more libertarian overall. The people I know for ages and ages, it's been clear to me, or at least it feels to me like there's a serious and concerted agenda to control these kind of spaces and these kind of voices. And I mean my voice along with your voice. I don't mind them using my books and my stand up to talk about my promiscuous consensual conduct in the past. What I seriously refute are these very, very serious criminal allegations. Also, it's worth mentioning that there are witnesses whose evidence directly contradicts the narratives that these two mainstream media outlets are trying to construct, apparently in what seems to me to be a coordinated attack. Now, I don't want to get into this any further because of the serious nature of the allegations, but I feel like I'm being attacked and plainly they are working very closely together. We are obviously going to look into this matter because it's very, very serious. In the meantime, I want you to stay close, stay awake, but more important than any of that, if you can, please stay free. Now, he released that statement a little over five days ago, got 2.1 million views and 167,000 likes. You can make it. Good old YouTube. Hello there, you awakening. I swear, YouTube is like a broken tool in many ways. Now, it looks like the feedback in terms of the top comments, you have one of the top ones coming in from Evil Bluetooth saying, quote, the UK government's letter to Rumble trying to get your income revoked is bloody sickening, unquote. That person got 510 likes. Other top comments include Matthew Clifton saying, quote, glad to know Rumble is pushing back against the injustice of trial by media Everyone has the right to presumption of innocence and and the right to legal process, unquote. I first got 161 likes. You have some by the name of Daz Bilved saying, quote, As terrible as it is I expected this years ago, here in the Netherlands, the government wants to close a public TV station and a political party. It's happening everywhere. But the more they go crazy, the more people wake up, hang in there. And by the way, I hope to work with you someday. I'm working on a movie script and I and will be needing a director for when the time comes. Another one by the name of Xana27 saying, quote, It's happening in my country too. Every brave speaker for truth gets defamed. It's the modern version of assassination, unquote. Which, I can't help but think, that's absolutely true. Back in the day, they would just have you whacked, as the mob might say, or a Chicago resident might say. And these days, they really don't have to. All they have to do is accuse you of something, and you'll lose everything. The United States is infamous for, you could lose, not just lose your job if, you, if someone claims you're racist, you'll lose your friends, your family, 
you'll any opportunity to get a new job, you are socially ostracized in seconds, regardless of evidence in many cases. Which is ironic. People say the United States is so racist, and yet when people think it is real in an instance with an individual, they ostracize them immediately. Which I would argue says the United States is not racist, but it's just by three cents. Other top comments coming from Thomas Axford2140 saying, quote, Honestly, dude, it's surprising it's taking them this long to try to shut you down. For me and many people who follow your content, it is just a sign that you are on the right track. Stay strong, brother. Unquote. This person got 26,000 views. Or rather, more accurately, they got 26,000 likes for that specific comment. And I'm trying to see if there are any negative or pejorative comments from this video. Many people are saying, stay strong. We admire you. Uh, just a just a turtle chat saying, quote, the more Russell Brand gets targeted by all news outlets, the more I believe him, unquote. Got 370 likes on that comment. I think there are a lot of parallels. Can't help but think of also the Brett Kavanaugh case or when he was trying to get nominated for the Supreme Court. And everyone came out of the woodwork with, regardless of evidence, well, there was none, but they all accused him of the most horrific things a human could possibly do. And culturally speaking, he was canceled. He still got the job, thankfully, but in terms of the public discord and the public appearance and perception, they all immediately, they all believed he was the most evil person on the planet because of the because of unfounded accusations. Now, interestingly enough, the people who are the victims of these types of accusations, they're they're just all the same political affiliation. They're all in the middle or on the right. I can't help but notice we're not seeing any of these hit pieces on the opposite side of the political aisle. Is that coincidence? Now, I would venture to say no, but let me know in the comments. Do you think, one, is this a true coordinated attack against Russell Brand? Or do you think, do you think it's legitimate? Again, these allegations are, one's 15 years ago, I believe one is 16, one's 17 years ago. And media loved him. And all of a sudden, now he's doing his own thing, starting to question a lot of the mainstream media, question a lot. He's also not a fan of the conflict between Ukraine and Russia, and the United States giving them over $100 billion. So that's another thing that he's going against the grain in regards to mainstream media coverage and opinion. Can't help but think it's not a coincidence, but let me know, especially if you're an international viewer, have you seen similar suppression and similar accusations and targeting in your countries? That'd be, I'd be fascinated to hear and I would include them in updated commentary as well. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Vivek on climate change getting near 900,000 views in 24 hours, which is pretty damn impressive. It's a little three-minute clip. Now, and when it comes to the comments, I do appreciate the feedback. Still trying to find a software where we can do picture-in-picture in, picture in real production, and I appreciate any suggestions you might have. I, again, I've tried a couple but the video keeps breaking down in terms of my webcam or the USB cam that I'm currently utilizing. I don't know if it's, it's software capability differences or why, but still looking for a new solution. I appreciate your patience as we make the show better together. And if you have feedback, always appreciate it if you have suggestions. And I am attempting to articulate and slow down my speech a little bit. And someday, perhaps, it will get better. I'll be able to pontificate that much more accurately. We shall hope and we shall see. Now, Vivek said, quote, 40 years ago, they told us an ice age was imminent. Now they tell us that global warming is an existential threat to humanity. Which is it? 
neither. The climate change agenda is a hoax because it has nothing to do with the climate change and everything to do with global quote-unquote equity by letting China catch up to the U.S. The same people who rail against carbon emissions in the U.S. don't see a peep about shifting those same emissions to China while also opposing nuclear energy here at home. It's a farce and I won't hedge in saying so. Unquote. So... Some good points. I can't help but also notice no one ever brings up the big 500-pound elephant, or more accurately, the 500-pound panda in the room. It's China. They have more emissions than any other country, bar none. Coming second place is usually India. And, yeah, they're not slowing down or kneecapping their economies in the sake of helping the environment. And it is also true. I talked to my parents about this, and fascinatingly enough, he is right. They were taught back when my parents were in school back in the day then an ice age is imminent. It's going to happen. So a couple interesting points. And also can't help but notice throughout the years when it comes to the climate change, it used to just be called global warming. That was the second. It used to be ice age. Then the next iteration that we heard about, or the next way they framed it, was this is going to be global warming. Which they, they stopped using that because they, you know, the world just didn't kept getting warmer exponentially. Turns out it kind of went up and down. It changed. So the new term is climate change, which is from political, you know, moving on the political chessboard. That's brilliant because no matter what happens, their theory is right. Because change is happening. It's also an inevitable part of life. But in terms of if that's your idea, it's good framing. Now, this is a quick little interview he has with a ABC representative. And without too much further ado, I shall play. The climate change policies we have been adopted, we have adopted in this country, have been more harmful and led to more deaths, both in the United States and worldwide, than climate change itself. It is a hard fact, Lindsay, that there's a 98% reduction in the climate disaster-related death rate over the last century because of more, not less, use of fossil fuels. Eight times as many people still die today of cold temperatures rather than warm ones. The right answer to all temperature-related deaths is more plentiful and abundant access to fossil fuels. The reason I called the climate change agenda a hoax is actually that it has very little, if anything, to do with climate change at all. And the way I can prove that to you is that the same people who oppose carbon emissions in the United States are perfectly fine shifting those same carbon emissions to places like China, where methane leakage and methane's even worse for global warming than carbon dioxide, where methane leakage is worse in places like China. The same people who are opposed to fossil fuels are also opposed to nuclear energy, the greatest form of carbon-free energy production known to man, which I support. Which are Another thing about nuclear energy, I would argue it's 100% green. It's recyclable. The byproduct is depleted uranium rods, because they have the rods going to the water. One of those rods, well, what is depleted uranium good for? Well, many things. One of the top things being military applications. They make tank busters, which is a military term for a right, rather tank cartridge in which you have the core of it being made out of depleted uranium because one depleted uranium is one of the most dense substances on the planet. So it's great for piercing armor. So if you have a tank, you take a round, the core of it is depleted uranium, you shoot another tank, and they'll go through their armor. So the military loves depleted uranium. There are a wide array for uses. That way you can make use of the whole, everything can be reused. 
and is ridiculously clean and efficient. It is a shame the United States has not invested more in that throughout the years. Should also be my answer to that question. I'm the strongest and fiercest advocate for nuclear energy in either political party. But the reason I call the agenda a hoax is I think it's more about global equity, letting China catch up, using multinational institutions to allow China to catch but up. But let me just ask then you this. It is about the climate itself. Let me ask you this really quickly. Uh, we understand how you feel about the climate change agenda, uh, but what about climate change itself? Do you believe um, in climate change? Well, I think that, with due respect, I've talked about this in other forums, do you believe in climate change is not really a meaningful question because climate change has existed as long as the Earth has existed. Ooh. Do I believe it is a fact that global surface temperatures are rising over the course of the last century and the last half century? Yes, I think that that is an established and as president, trend. would you do anything to try to, to buck that trend? No, is the answer. The thing I'm going to do is actually drive human adaptation and mastery of changes in the climate through technological advances. I think that requires more, not less use of fossil fuels. More, not less use of nuclear energy. Finding ways of adapting to changing circumstances as human beings always have. That's how we advance human flourishing, human prosperity. That's the real metric that matters, not the amount of carbon we put into the atmosphere. And so, yes, I do care about human health, about human flourishing, about human prosperity. That's what I'm going to actually pledge to advance and lead. There are many risks. Climate is only one of them. There are many risks to human prosperity. And I think we need to focus more on, even in our environmental agenda, more on clean air and clean water and other basic attributes of making sure that human beings live healthy, meaningful, prosperous lives than just bending the knee to this one theory back in the 1970s said it was going to lead to a global ice age, now says it's going to lead to global overheating. I think the reality is we need to focus on human prosperity. That's how I'll lead as Commander-in-Chief. Brilliant board, well, I'd say brilliant move on the political chessboard. I think a lot of people who are attracted to him as a political leader, they're going to like his answers to those questions. Now, another fascinating thing when it comes to the debate and the whole idea of climate change, I can't help but notice that people who advocate it for the most the people who are the most fervent believers, they're out there seven days a week. That is their thing. Why are they all buying houses off the coast of Florida while at the same time they're telling us it's going to be underwater in seven years? Are they? Is it altruistic because they're so nice they want to be the first ones there so that when they see it, they'll warn us? Or is it because they're hypocritical and they don't really believe it? I'll let you decide on that note. Now in terms of the feedback on the Twitter, or now it's called the X, you have a myriad of results. Now it looks like one of the top ones is Mr. Bitnar, B-I-T-N-A-R. This person says, quote, what about the fact that burning fossil fuel and coal destroys the atmosphere and our environment? It's just because it was the first source of energy and we figured out how to use. Now we have nuclear, solar, wind, hydroelectric. There are many other ways to achieve energy. They continue to say, sustainability without burning a limited resource that fills the air with smog. I enjoy Vivek and his policies, but this one is a little off the mark if he wants to continue burning dead dinosaurs. Which, I'll let you go ahead and just Google or look at the YouTube video for the man who coined the term fossil fuels. It is a, it's kind of fun to think of it as old dinosaurs, but eh, not really. Now, another person says, Mr. replied to that saying, what, Wharf Plank? Wharf Plank. All right. This person says it could take 20 to 30 years to go nuclear and hydro is maxed out 
unless we can rebuild where the enviros forced the dam's closure in the past. So it's coal and natural gas until we change to nukes and hydro. That person got 20 likes, and subsequently the person before him got 34. We also have someone by the name of Great One, which seems to be a recurring commenter on the Vivek videos. Sorry, the Vivek. Though I really prefer his old rap term or his rap name when he was in college, he was called Davek. Which, if I were him, I would lean into the meme and sell merch on that. Because I'm, I'm sure people would buy it. But nevertheless, you have the Great One saying, quote, Vivek Ramaswamy speaks an inconvenient yet empowering truth. Today's climate agenda is a Trojan horse for global redistribution, divorced from environmental realities. Unlike cowardly politicians, Vivek demonstrates the intellect and courage to confront contradictions that reveal this fraud. If CO2 emissions allegedly threaten humanity, why ignore the much larger Chinese outputs? If nuclear power provides an clean energy, why oppose it? Because it was never put about the climate. Vivek, under, Vivek understands virtue signaling elites push climate changes policies undermining American interests while empowering adversaries. He seeks solutions that strengthen our nation, not weaken it, with wisdom and accountability. Ramaswamy leads the path to prudent environmental stewardship benefiting all people. We need leaders driven by timeless ideals, not political agendas disguising transfers of wealth and power. Vivek stands up for our sovereignty and future. Unquote. Quite a long tweet from Mr. Great One. I'll let you decide if that will, those were great words. Now, it looks like on Twitter, some people did believe those were great words. He got 114 likes out of 2,648 views. Looks like going through the, another one by the name of Baldeep Durkot says, quote, Ice age, global warming, and climate change, I can't keep up. Maybe we should try to tur turn the penguins into their expert opinion on this matters. They seem to know how to thrive in any weather, unquote. Person got nine likes and two thousand views. So it looks like overall, another one, another one saying effort between you and you saying quote America stand with Vivek. Got eight likes. Bold move. So it looks like there are a couple negative against him. But it seems overall another popular response was from Rick. Kiliotti, and he has quite the response. Now he says, quote, for all the climate alarmists out there and all those who think EVs will save the planet, I know you hate facts and numbers, but try to focus for just a few minutes. Let's look at some real numbers. CO2 makes up 0.04% of our atmosphere. Humans produce 3% to 4% of that CO2. What percent of atmospheric CO2 do humans pr produce? First, let's find 4% of 0 .02. That's 4 divided by 100 times 0 0.02 divided by 100 equals 0 0.000008. Transportation, including planes, trains, trucks, and airplanes, is 49% of our 3 to 4%. I question this percentage, but I'll go along for now. Now you want to find 49% of the atmospheric CO2 produced by transportation. 0.000008 times 0.49 equals 0.000000392. So 4% of 0.02 is 0.000008 and 49% of 0.000008 is approximately 0.000000392. So transportation CO2 makes up 0.000392% of our atmosphere. 
If I separate automobile CO2, it becomes unmanageably small number. By the way, CO2 has risen from 0.03% to 0.04% in the last 100 years. One more inconvenient fact is plant life starts to die off if CO2 gets below 0.02%. Unquote. Wow, I think I've said zero more times than I can count today. Zero. But nevertheless, this person got 131 likes out of 6,137 views. So quite a few people agreed with that sentiment. So it looks like overall, there are a couple that are against Vivek, but I would venture to say, you know, a lot of the comments just saying, thank you, this is correct. Another person says hoax is accurate. Uh, another one says music to our ears. Let's say probably about 93% of the comments are favorable towards Vivek's take on this particular situation or this particular comment. Now, that being said, in terms of moves on the political chessboard, I think this is, I think this is a clever move for a couple of reasons. One is it does differentiate him from the myriad of competitors. There are, like many Republican primaries, there are more than you can possibly count. You can throw a brick out a window, you'll hit another Republican candidate. And presumably that wouldn't be a terrible idea, depending on who you hit. Kidding, obviously. But many would argue that brick would be more intelligent than some of the political candidates are running. And perhaps more morally accurate than many on the left and right. But nevertheless, I moderately digress. It does differentiate him from the competition. And I think that message resonates to a lot of people who they're noticing the differences between, again, the people who are advocating climate change and their actions. And they're just starting to question the situation more and more as they lose faith in government and the scientific community as they've been taken advantage of throughout the years by those same communities. So I think I think this will resonate fairly good with people politically in the middle. I think people on the right, they're going to probably already agree with Vivek's take, and this might make it more attractive. You're not seeing, as of right now, of course, it's a very fluid situation. we got months, months, and months into the election, but we haven't heard of this type of messaging from DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Chris Christie. So it's, it's definitely different. And again, I think he's, if the U.S. really wants to be energy independent, go nuclear. And again, I think a lot of people are scared because, again, when there are, the rare times that there are issues, it is catastrophic. Many would blame communism because, again, that's Chernobyl. And again, that, so perhaps nuclear would not be good in California with the current administration, the current people living there. But in other states that are more, you know, having center structures for the private sector, it would be fantastically efficient. And yet, if you look at where the U.S. is investing in terms of energies, they're just kind of like when you go to a casino and you lose money on a slot machine and you think, well, I've already put 20 bucks in here. I got to keep going. I'll, I'll win that 20 back. The sunk cost fallacy is a fascinating thing in business and many other areas of life. It seems as if the U.S. has that same addiction towards wind and solar, which, depending on where you are in the country, loses you a lot of money or sometimes breaks even. And the downside of wind energy is not very efficient. It's sure not green in terms of once the windmill is broken after 20 years, it's not exactly good materials that you're using. And when I say good, I mean the materials are not of which where you just bury it in the ground, bad things would happen. And with wind, their ROI, return on investment, is in the decades. So that's not great. In terms of solar, again, depending on where you live, might make sense. If you live in Oregon or somewhere where it's perpetually cloudy, that's a d very imprudent idea. You're not going to make a, you're not going to get an ROI out of it. So again, I, instead of, 
I debated if it's even worth making solar panels. I would take that same money and invest it in solar panel technologies. And they've gotten more efficient throughout the years. Don't get me wrong. And in our lifetime, I suspect they will become even more efficient as technology gets better over time on average. But right now, it's still not the most efficient, especially when you make electricity for a city or on a great or large scale. It's one of those issues where right now, the best things for the environment, I would argue, are natural gas and nuclear. Now, I don't know how much, and again, one of the key one of the keys to prosperity in countries growing is cheap energy. Just think about how hard our lives just get just with the cost of gasoline getting more expensive and diesel getting more expensive. Not only is it more productively expensive to go to work, go to the grocery store, go to your church because you're driving to get there, but also the cost of goods. Trucks use diesel. I know a lot of people forget this, but pretty much everything you get at your store gets there by a truck. So that's another huge cost. So the more the, old, the older I get, the more I reminisce, I can't help but reflect and think of Thomas Sewell, who brilliantly once said, there are no solutions, just trade-offs, which I can't help but see more and more in reality. But nevertheless, I believe in terms of moving on the political chessboard, brilliant move by Vivek. I think it will gain him a couple more votes in the middle, perhaps. And it'll be interesting to see. Let me know in the comments, do you think this will hurt him? Or do you think it will help him a little bit as a polls as he continues to fight to try to get the nominee for the Republican Party? Other interesting political news, we have Ford angry at the UK government because they won't ban ICE engines fast enough. Heaven forbid the consumer actually get to choose what product they get and how they dictate the market. Now, this comes from an article from Electric, which I would say B, B minus. It's kind of stupid, but kind of funny. Their website is quite literally called Electrek, L-E-E-C-T-R-E-K. That's kind of clever, I guess. But then they're not so cool because they only have a .co and not a .com. And if you're in America, you know the OG, the cool people all have the .com. Like toppingtechnologies.com, where you can get that free flamethrower with every September purchase. Unless you live, I believe, in California, you can't have it there. But in most freedom-loving states, you can get a flamethrower. And you can mount it to your AR-15, as every cool accessory cannon should be. But nevertheless, it looks like specifically... Talking to Ford UK's managing director, Lisa Branken. Now she said, and again, this is coming from the UK, maybe delaying the 2030 ICE car ban. They're saying this thing might be a mistake. Now she says, quote, our business needs three things for the UK government. Ambition, commitment, and consistency, unquote. What she really says is we need the government to bully our competition to stop making profitable vehicles to go EV because we're losing money on EVs. And again, it is kind of, in terms of the government, they're the ones forcing the automotive companies to do this. This isn't the free market. You're seeing the same thing in the United States. They're not banning V8s in the United States. What they're doing, technically, kind of a de facto ban, they're increasing exponentially the tailpipe emission standards of the fleet of vehicles that you manufacture. So they're so arbitrarily high in terms of the requirements to meet that efficiency. You can't have it outputting so much stuff. The only way to realistically get there with the technology we have right now is to have your fleet have EVs in it. Because that will, again, offset your fleet average of emissions. So it's a de facto ban in the United States, unfortunately. Now, Branken, Ms. Brankton added, quote, a relaxation of the 2020 would undermine all three, unquote. 
And this statement comes as the British Prime Minister Rikishi Sunak is expected to delay the government's clean energy policies this week. Which I, I pray he does. Because one of the nice things about internal combustion engines, besides, you know, lasting a quarter of a century or a million miles, if it's a Toyota, but they're also great for people who don't have a lot of money. Again, eventually we will have uh, Tesla's right now working on a $25,000 car. It might happen probably within the next maybe 24 months, perhaps. But then you have to think about what's the cost to maintain that? What's the ROI after the battery breaks and it's worth 20 grand? Because the battery costs as much as the car. I always tell people for low income folks or people who are just conscious for their money like myself, the best ROI you can get is a Toyota or a Honda, preferably with three pedals, also known as a stick shift manual transmission with an internal combustion engine. It lasts a quarter of a century or a million miles. And nicely enough, your neighbor Bob down the street can fix it if he's so inclined. Independent support from third parties is quite, quite prevalent. With an EV, you have one person who could fix it, the manufacturer, just like a smartphone. It's actually worse than a smartphone in terms of being locked in. Thereby, they can charge as much as they want because it's a monopoly. Your one vehicle can fit by, get fixed by one person, Tesla. There are some people trying to have third-party repair shops, but then Tesla nukes your capabilities to actually do the quick charging and your warranty's gone, and there's no more support, and you can barely get parts. So that's my small soapbox rant on the ICE engine for the day. Not too big, perhaps an orange crate or an orange box would be most sufficient in terms of the box size, but nevertheless, it had to be said. Now, it looks like the Ford UK chair is urging the pushing back to the 2030 timeline would be a mistake, saying, quote, this is the biggest industry transformation in over a century, and the UK 2030 target is a vital catalyst to accelerate forward into a cleaner future. She's, unquote, again, it's from Lisa, which is a nice way of saying, hey, you told us we had to stop making profitable good cars. You told us you're forcing us. You said we won't be allowed to make ICE engines or internal combustion engines by 2030. Now it looks like the delay comes only three years after the government announced its intentions to transition transition to new EV cars and sale, van sales by 2030 which is a very nice way, very political way of saying, we're taking away your ability to choose the vehicle you want. You'll own nothing and like it, what they say. Looks like, and why, why might Ford, might, 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 why are they really upset? Aha, Ford recently invested $355 million into its UK development and manufacturing facility. And the company says it has further funding planned for the 2030 timeframe. Looks like the tw in 2021, the American automaker announced that 100% of its passenger vehicles, vehicles in Europe will be all electric by 2030. Ford increased its investment $471 million in its Halewood plant last year to build EV components and support the shift. Uh, she continues to complain, of course, quote, We need the policy focus focused on bolstering the EV market in the short term and supporting consumers with, while headwinds are strong. Infrastructure remains immature, tariffs loom, and cost of living is high, unquote. Which is all the reasons you should just get an internal combustion engine. Yeah, we, we need you to bully the other manufacturers. We need you to coercively manipulate the market so people are forced to buy our product. It looks like Ford unveiled the electric version of the Explorer in Europe for March, its best-selling SUV. The electric Ford Explorer is expected to start at $49,500 and will come out next summer for all three people who actually want it. 
So it costs $49,500 to start. That's if you have, I would suppose, steel rims and cloth seats. Maybe only three wheels at that price point. Again, it starts there, it goes to the moon. Now it looks like the automaker plans to have nine EVs in Europe lined up by 2024, including four passenger vehicles and five crossover vans. Passenger EVs include the electric Puma. No, again, I did a flag check, no affiliation with the shoe brand, which is kind of pathetic. It would have been a brilliant idea, business brilliance, I would say, to say, hey, buy a Ford Puma, get a free pair of Puma, you know, sneakers. It would be brilliant, but of course, we can't expect too much from creative marketing these days. Now, um, no, no, not most, most companies are pretty boring. Not all of them give away free flamethrowers like Topping Technologies. Well, that's just me. Now, they also have the EV. Oh, oh, oh that was bad taste, taste in my mouth. The Mustang Emac, which is the bastardized cousin of the traditional Ford Mustang. In name only, they're related. Ford Mustang, of course, is infamous for winning the Pony War. Or the Camaro is dead. The Charger is going to be an EV, apparently. Yeah, it's the only pony remaining. And it still has a V8 and a stick shift, which I do admire Ford for doing. I applaud them for that. It's a rare feat these days. And it'll be interesting to see this whole situation shows how important it is to be involved in politics. Politics, as a wise man once said, you might not be interested in politics, but politics is very interested in you. And this further shows kind of my core concept of the show of showing how governments have gotten so big Pretty much every business is affected by them, for better or worse. From my perspective, I would argue usually worse because it's forcing them to do things that the free market isn't agreeing with. You look at consumer preferences in the United States, consumer sentiment has changed a lot towards hybrids. The percentage of Americans considering hybrids has increased a lot. Granted that technology has been around for a few decades. It's a little more proven, so to say. Although from my perspective, I would say it's still ridiculous because again, like a Prius, after about you know, 80,000 miles, the battery's dead. And that's the majority value of the car. Now it's worthless. Well, I should say worthless. It runs just like an internal combustion engine Honda Civic because the Prius, has, it's a hybrid, has both drivetrains. So the value of the car is basically bunked because the battery's dead. So in terms of my long-term ROI, personally, I prefer the ICE engine and the stick shift. Though I know I'm definitely not in the majority. I know more and more people acquiesce to the automatic transmission and the EV, but this old soul prefers having three pedals and a stick, as all cars I would argue should have. What Ford will do from here, it'll be interesting to see. Time shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have General Motors and Stellantis beginning the layoffs due to the UAW strike. Now this is coming after one of the historic moments First time in about 80 years, all three branches of the big three, they're all striking at once. And when I say the big three, if you're not a big in the automotive community, or maybe you're an international listener, not a lot of experience with the international big three, it's Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler. Now Chrysler, during the 2009 bankruptcy, they failed so bad, a European company bought them out, pathetically enough. Formerly Fiat, now it's a, a large company, very similar to Volkswagen, that owns many brands. The new company that owns Chrysler is now called Stellantis. And Chrysler in and of itself, Chrysler actually owns Jeep as well as Dodge. So back in 2009, General Motors went bankrupt again and Chrysler went bankrupt. So, and Ford barely squeaked by. They, they also, in terms of perfect you know, timing being half everything in life, they just happened to get a huge loan at the perfect moment so that they could actually withstand the economic uncertainty and the turmoil that was the 08 recession, which ironically was caused by the government 
making decisions to give home, tell the banks to give homes to everyone. And ironic because UAW, well, they're very good at politics. They, they pay a lot. They do a lot of political donations. And those people were the people who, you know, wanted the housing market to be the idea of everyone deserves a house. Let's give it to everyone. See what happens. Well, in terms of the Magic 8-Ball was pretty clear in that result. And we could all say, with hindsight, 2020, that outlook was not good. Now, it looks like this all started, we had the big, every couple of years, you had the contract negotiations. And traditionally speaking, you'd get close to the deadline and both sides would come together, you meet somewhere in the middle. And at the end of the day, the cost would still be exponentially more than the competition that makes more reliable vehicles at a lower price point, such as, you know, Honda, Toyota, Tesla, Kia, etc. But this started off with the UAW asking for benefits equating 80 billion dollars. Yeah, I'm not kidding. $80 billion was their first proposal. And that, that wasn't just for all the companies. That was for all three. So $80 billion over the course of, again, it's a four-year contract. So having your cost of labor increasing. So it'd be $80 billion for GM to pay, $80 billion for Stellantis to pay, and $80 billion to Ford to pay. On top of their wages already being the highest in the industry. So they started off way out here. And the automotive companies, the big three, they were realizing, oh yeah, if we do that, we'll go out of business. Because they're trying to cut costs left and right. In terms of background of what the big three have been doing, GM actually bought out 5,000 employees, or rather 5,000 salaried employees, from their contract in February of 2023. Thereby eliminating the positions because Mary Barr wants to decrease the cost to, again, this is their vision, their idea, not mine. They want to compete directly with Tesla. Now, I don't think that's a proven business idea, but that is their vision. That's their ideal. And she wants to have all EV Cadillacs by 2030 and all of EV GM, all the brands, so you've got GMC, Buick, Chevrolet, as well as Cadillac, all of them by 2035. That's going to take a lot of money and a lot of new talent, a lot of engineering skills will be needed. So they're trying to cut the cost. And at the same time, GM, everyone's trying to cut the cost. The the big three, the, they're dealing with the United Auto Workers. They want to increase the cost to historic highs. Now, it looks like on the sixth day of the strike, GM and Stellantis announced layoffs. And... This is after Ford actually just had to lay off about 600 employees as well. Now Ford and all these are in direct correlation with the UAW partial strikes. They're actually doing partial strikes instead of the whole strikes so they don't have to pay out all their members at once, I suspect. Because if they do with their current methodology they have now, the strike can last much longer. And it's just as effective by crippling the big three, which is what they want to do. By partially shutting down a plant, specifically the Ford Bronco plant, they actually basically kneecapped the whole thing. So they had a partial plant but Ford was like, well, we, we, the finishing department's not working. I believe also the is the finishing department, paint department, and a couple other areas that the UAW pulled employees out of. Well, they can't finish making the Ford Bronco. So why have the plant to begin with? So they laid off 600 employees to that specific Ford Bronco plant strike. Now, the layoffs with GM and Stellantis are exactly the same correlation. Now, it looks like GM is laying off 2,000 employees from their Kansas plant because the UAW is having a partial strike at that particular location. Now, Stellantis is laying off 370 employees at three of the Stellantis parts factories. Now, these are the parts that they manufacture parts for the Jeep over in Toledo. And that's where the current UAW strike is on the Chrysler or Stellantis part of the strike initiative. Now, interestingly enough, Stellantis did also note that this is also due to storage constraints, interestingly enough, correlating with the strike. And right now, the strike is allegedly causing... The companies to decrease their output so each of the big three by 3,200 vehicles per day which is devastating for the 18 people who still want to buy the products i mean what what on earth are they going to do i'm 
only moderately kidding. If you look at the market share of the big three, they've been precipitously decreasing. Let's just say they could afford these benefits and they could afford having high prices back in the 1940s and 50s because of a lack of competition. But again, these days, the average price of the vehicle keeps going up and up and up. Tesla actually has a cheaper product and it's an EV company. It took them, I would say, about a decade to get to profitability. It took quite some time for Tesla to do that, but they actually have a product where, astonishingly enough, it is actually cheaper than the average price of a new car in North America. Interesting fun fact. And again, the price of their labor at Tesla is much much lower. It's also a different culture because they also give their employees stock, which I would always argue, if you want to have a great relationship between the manufacturer, like the management and the people assembling the product, stock is a great way to make them more invested in the company and more motivated to actually increase production, increase quality. I think that's one of the best mutually beneficial incentives you can provide someone. Now, interestingly enough, and I, let me know if you're part of the UAW, I'd love to know your perspective, if that's something you would love or hate, but it seems like that's never been negotiated. And I haven't seen that as a negotiating tactic or something that they've been offered in the past. And I partially suspect they would rather not, They a lot of things they're demanding for, like getting paid to work 40 hours, but only having to work 32 hours a week. And yeah, reinstating. So a lot of the things that they want are based on tenure and not exactly performance. It's kind of an, on average, I would say a theme you see with many unions, not all, but many. So I don't suspect that they would actually take that, but I think that'd be an interesting idea personally. And let me know in the comments, it'd be fascinating to see, are you affected by the strikes? Do you think it'll go longer or shorter? Given all the information we have, I would say it will last much longer than we think. I think, I believe the record is about maybe four months in the past. And interestingly enough, again, it's the first time in like 80 years that all three strikes are happening at once. And I partially suspect Sean Fain, he, he knows, he, he wants to um, be a change advocate, some might say. He did polls, as many politicians do. Most of the people in unions want to strike. So there's not really much of an incentive to not negotiate or to negotiate rather because he's giving them what they want right now. And it'll be interesting to see how long it goes, but unfortunately I suspect it will go longer rather than shorter. Other interesting political news, you have GM executives punching back as you have executive Mark Rouse writing an article on the UAW and their misinformation. Now this is from him. He actually wrote something in the Detroit Free Press, which I can't believe Detroit still has newspapers or they still have people living there. Oh, shot. I'm only partially kidding. My family came from up north and Detroit at one time, as crazy as this sounds, used to be one of the richest cities. No, it was the richest city on the planet at one time, which is astronomically impressive. But it was also when there was really no competition in the automotive community and the big three were juggernauts. But times and culture have changed dramatically since then. Now, he wrote this a couple days ago, and I'll go ahead and I'll read it. And we'll see. And let me know in the comments, do you think this is misinformation or not as we go through it? Love to hear your perspective. Now, he says, quote, Amid the rhetoric of the United Auto Worker leadership, the flow of information is not fair to anyone. It can be hugely counterproductive to reach an agreement that gets GM back to work quickly, which should be everyone's goal, unquote. I don't think that's their goal, personally. And in the next paragraph, next quote, quote, The record offer we proposed September 14th 
recognizes the many contributions our representative team members made to our company, past, present, and future. And it addresses directly what they've told us matters most, wage growth, job security, and long-term stability. I'd like to take this opportunity to debunk some of the myths being shared out there, unquote. Now, my fun commentary on this paragraph, uh, it doesn't sound like they addressed job security, wage growth. He, they didn't address the benefits for doing nothing, like the retirement benefits and the pensions. Well, pensions, you would argue they work. You do work to get that. But it's one of those things where there are some sticking points that the UAW really wants, which ironically they had to give up in 2009 when they nearly bankrupt Ford. Partially the reason, not the whole reason. I know the economy was a thing, obviously. And it was a contributing factor for, to why GM and Chrysler went bankrupt. And that's why they gave them up at the time, because the companies couldn't afford it. And GM is still in debt somehow, still. I guess it should be too surprising. Now, going on to his first paragraph, which says, quote, myth, GM doesn't pay people a good wage, unquote. Paragraph starts, quote, UAW leadership claims GM pays its members poverty wages. This is simply not true. In our current proposal, we are offering a 20% wage increase, including for temporary employees who make up only six to 10% of our workforce. That means approximately 85% of current representative employees would earn a base wage of approximately $82,000 per year. In contrast, the average median household income in the nine areas where GM has major assembly plants is $51,821. And total compensation for the 85% of workforce with overtime and benefits would be $150,000 per year. In, in the 2019 contract, wages for elderly workers with less than one year of service earning $17 an hour had the potential to reach $32.32 an hour over the term of the contract. With our most recent proposal, some entry-level team members would get up to, the, to a maximum rate of $39.24 an hour at the end of the contract, for some workers a 141% increase." Unquote. So that was a lot of data right there. $82,000 a year, that's a lot of money. Granted, I know it's somewhat relative geographically. If you're in Los Angeles or Beverly Hills, that's not enough for a shoebox, but that's not where they put factories. I, don't know, I was about to say obviously, but I don't know who's tuning in because it's so pretty expensive to be there. Now, saying up to $150,000 per year, and I know that includes benefits, but that's also what shareholders and consumers care about in terms of the total costs for these particular benefits. That's costing real money. That's what's, that's what's increasing the price of their vehicles for the 18 people who still buy them. Kidding, that, that was kind of a joke. I know they have 23 customers in line. It, it still breaks my heart they killed the Corvette by taking away the stick shift, I'm not gonna lie. But nevertheless, they still make some great reliable V8s, I would say, in terms of, in terms of getting a technology down pat, they have some great V8s. Unfortunately, they only, they're only reinvesting $920 million into that for the new design, for the new updated one, while putting billions in EVs. Again, it's like roulette putting all, all on 17 blue. Well, shows how much a gamble. 17 red or whatever. They're risking it all on the EVs. Now, let me in the comments. Do those wages sound accurate for your... If you're part of the UAW, do those wages sound accurate? And do the increases seem reasonable? And when I say 
when we say 20% wage increase for the people who aren't uh, following the contract too much or negotiation, that is 20% over the course of the four-year contract, so 20% total, which is still astronomically great. I wish when I worked at Corporate America, I wish I could get that much of a raise. My God. But going on to the next paragraph, quote, myth with its record profits, GM could easily afford the UAW's demands, unquote. So that was the headline. Now the, now the body. Appropriate metaphor or term, perhaps, for the automotive article. Quote, the fundamental reality is that the UAW demands can be described in one word, untenable. We want to ensure our company succeeds and, more importantly, wins for the next 100 years. For a benefit of everyone, we're at a pivotal point in our journey as we transition to an all-EV future. We have already announced our intention to add jobs in 2024. In our offer, we have work and products for every single one of our U.S. factories. As we start our transformation to EVs, we've made sure we had work for the entire manufacturing team so we could bring everyone along with our transformation, unquote. Hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't help but laugh. Now, in terms of historicals of General Motors specifically, that's throughout the decades that I've been following the companies and my family's been part of it. It's one of the things where I just know that company the most. That's, where, that's why I have the most reference points with that one. And it's the one I've written the most papers about. Now, with GM, ever since Billy Durant, the, he's the brainchild, actually founded the company when he combined good old Buick and Oldsmobile way back in the day. I kind of laughed when they said, oh yeah, stable for the next 100 years. They've gone bankrupt like three times, I believe now, because Billy Durant, he founded the company bringing together Oldsmobile and Buick. They went bankrupt, unfortunately, due to, I believe it was the first, was it the Great Depression? They went bankrupt, but Billy Durant was a very persistent man he was working, he found a, a little race car driver, a little Frenchman named Louis Chevrolet. And they decided to team up and start making consumer cars. And before you know it, he grew Chevrolet so big, he bought GM back from the banks, thereby bringing Chevrolet into the Oldsmobile and Buick product line. And then he built it up again. And unfortunately, I believe they went back up again and he kind of died sad and working in a bowling alley. But the company's gone back up multiple times, which is why I couldn't help but laugh when he said stability for a hundred years. The, the historics on GM, in terms of will they go bankrupt again, are the odds are pretty darn good. And again, they still have debt. No one, a lot of people aren't talking about that. Now, I believe, I believe he's accurate in terms of the pivotal point in our transition to going to EVs. Now, again, when it comes to all this, data is key. I wish he actually used the specific profit points and the figures and say how much it would cost to revamp a factory and how much they're going to... I don't think anyone wants to say the quiet words out loud. But, oh, heck, I don't work there. I don't care. I'll say it. They're going to have to pay a lot of money for engineers. They're going to need a lot of computer science degrees. They're going to need a lot of those folks. Because, again, an EV is basically a computer on wheels. So, software development is going to be huge. And no one wants to hear that because they're going to be paid an appropriate market rate for that job, which means they're going to get paid more than UAW. Now, it'd be interesting if the UAW were to rework their employees and have... Because I know they have, they have some in like not just the factories, there are some in the management buildings as well. That'd be interesting to see. Would it go? Would they retrain the employees for that? And I don't know if that'd be a pejorative suggestion. I wouldn't think so, but it'll be interesting. Let what are your thoughts on that paragraph? Eh, I mean, again, eighty billion over a four-year contract. Yeah, that would, it certainly seems. And again, they already have the highest wages in the industry. So I I. I think that's pretty accurate in terms of, yeah, I think it would probably cripple them. Moving on to the next paragraph, quote, myth 
those record profits go forward fueling corporate greed, unquote. He continues saying, quote, those record profits are reinvested in the company and our people. In 2022, GM had a net income profits of $9.9 billion. In 2023, our capital spending will be 11 to 12 billion. That is not an aberration over the past 10 years. Our net income totaled 65 billion and the amount we've invested in the same period is 77 billion. That includes investments in EV future, including our vehicle facilities in Detroit Hamrock and Orion, Michigan, Toledo and Defiance in Ohio and in Rochester, New York. It also includes significant investment for future internal combustion products in Flint, Michigan, Fort Wayne, Indiana and Arlington, Texas. The reality is that our business is capital intensive and the auto company that doesn't invest in its own future gets left behind, unquote. Now, I was going to say they should be investing more into the con- the amount of resource allocation. We look at how much they're putting into EVs and how little they're putting into V8s. I mean, again, right now, the same thing with Ford, a majority of their profits are coming from the V8s. They're coming from the internal combustion engine. That's how they're fueling this transformation. In addition to taking out debt and loans, as Ford just took out a loan, I believe, for a couple billion dollars to build a battery factories. So, yeah, it definitely sounds like the numbers. <laughs> I'm surprised more investors aren't scared. Oh yeah, you spent you know, 65 billion, or no, you, you took in 65 billion over that time period and spending 77. Doesn't sound like a great business model. Now he continues the paragraph actually by saying, quote, if we don't continue to invest, we will lose ground quickly. Our competitors around the country and around the world, most of whom are non-union, will waste no time seizing the opportunity. We would be handing them, unquote. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let everyone pause in for a little laugh uh, right here. Lose ground, com- I mean, Tesla is so far ahead, not just of GM, but of every automotive company. They're an industry leader for EVs. That's what they do is their core competency. They're already very, I think that's one of the reasons Mary Barr is trying to cut so much cost because they're so, they're so far behind in the race. They need to run like hell, work 105 hours a week if they really want to catch up realistically to Tesla, which again, I don't know if it's a prudent business, business idea. Time will determine who's right. Let me know in the comments. Do those figures sound accurate? And do you think they should continue to reinvest a majority of their profits into the EVs? Interestingly enough, some of the comments on the YouTube when we come about this topic, many people are saying they should re- reinvest more profits into the people, which is perhaps part of the debate here we have today when it comes to the upcoming contract. But again, let me know, do you think, would doing that help push the company forward? Would it make the company more profitable? Would it make the products better? How would that impact the whole, the whole ecosystem of everyone affected by automotives. Again, most Americans can't even afford a new car these days. Live the new car, average used car, new car price is like 50 something grand. And unfortunately, because of the US government killing internal combustion dungeons, the number of entry level, level cheap vehicles is dwindling every year. People always um, talk pejoratively about the Mitsubishi Mirage because it is kind of comical in terms of the low quality parts, but in terms of an ROI and if you're lower income and you need a vehicle to get to work, it's a great value for under 20 grand getting a new car with a warranty and internal combustion engine gets 40 plus miles per gallon. That's great. But unfortunately, the government's trying to kill all that. So the average used car price or new car price is just going to increase exponentially, ironically hurting the people that the government purports to love about helping the most. But I only partially digress. He continues another quote. Myth, GM doesn't provide significant paid time off for its employees, unquote. 
This paragraph says, quote, we currently offer 16 to 19 paid holidays per year and have offered the addition of Juneteenth. Paid holidays can vary due on the election year and where the Christmas holiday falls. Roughly 80% of representative team members, with the exception of temporary employees and new hires, receive three to five weeks of vacation based, well, per, based on seniority. New hires receive one week of vacation in their first year, two weeks in their second year. Unquote. That's a lot of vacation. And granted, I'm biased. I own a small business. I work 105 hours a week. But gosh, that's a lot of vacation. Let me know. Do you think that's, is that not already enough? That's, that's 16 to 19 paid holidays and up to five weeks vacation? Jesus. Now, to me, that's a lot. I haven't taken vacation in years, but that's just me. Let me know in the comments. Next note, quote, GM isn't addressing tiers, unquote. The paragraph goes on to say, quote, GM offers include annual wage increases for new employees with progression to the full wage rate within four years. We have assembly and manufacturing jobs. We have warehousing jobs and we have supply jobs. Within these diff distinctly different businesses in our national contract, everyone is paid the same wage structure, unquote. Which again, it does, I don't know, I don't know, in terms of, you know, free market capitalism, just, I don't feel like all those jobs are equal in terms of, I think some of those jobs should definitely get paid more than others. I mean, my grandpa worked in an aluminum foundry in Michigan. I mean, those, I mean, you work in a, in a factory where it gets hotter than hell. I mean, I would argue that is worth more than, again, not to pejoratively speak about these other roles, but if you're in an air-conditioned room, like a supply job, so you're working without parts, I mean, let me know, does it sound like everyone in every one of these capacities should get paid the same starting out? But I don't know. I don't think that's a great take, but no, that's just me. Next paragraph, quote, myth, GM employees lack retirement security, unquote. He continues to say, quote, our represented team receives extremely generous retirement benefits. Our last offer to the UAW continues our unconditional 6.4% company 401k contribution for, empl for employees who are not eligible for pensions. An additional 2,600 contribution each year is provided and an investment toward medical expenses in retirement, a 25% increase over today. Those retirement benefits could grow to 1.7 million over the typical 33-year career when combined with our average employee contributions and historical investment returns in our plans, unquote. Now, there should also be a caveat because within 33 years, they're probably going to go bankrupt again. Perhaps, I would say, the main causes are going to be increased wages by the UAW and making EVs that aren't competitive. That's my guess today. Granted, it's a very fluid situation. 6.4% matching 401k, that's ridiculously generous. Back when I, even when I worked at a tech company, I believe they matched 1.9%. Like, that's really good. Six, let me know, what's your industry, if you're not in the automotive, or what other industries do you think have 6.4% four-way contribution? That's a lot. Now, last paragraph by Mr. Mike Rose, saying, quote, the importance of moving forward, unquote. He says, quote, as 
The past has clearly shown nobody wins in a strike. We have delivered a record offer. That is a fact. It rightly rewards our team members while positioning the company for success in the future. Often in these situations, the clouds of rhetoric can obscure reality. I'm hoping to shed some light and clarity on this whole situation. One that I sincerely hope can be resolved quickly and fairly. That is what our team members, our communities, and our customers in our country all deserve." Unquote. Signed, Mark Rouse, President of General Motors. And of course, there are the comments section, thankfully, which I would argue is probably one of those biggest value ads. If you do have a blog or YouTube videos or anything like that, that's usually where you have the most fun because that's where you like to learn about other people's perspective, which is why I always keep my comments open. The UAW, more often than not, does not, but that's just me. Now, from all that we've spoken about, do you think, based on what his input is, are the things the UAW is saying misinformation? Do you think there's just a disconnect between both sides? What points do you think he has brought up are the most accurate or the most concerning for GM to survive long term? It's one of those things where I think a couple of his points were on point, pun moderately intended. And he's saying, it is interesting to see, he says in a strike, no one wins. In my opinion, they're going to acquiesce because they're cowards. They're going to acquiesce and give the UAW a lot, in which case the UAW would win and GM would be further inhibited from making greater investments in the company and their transformation. It might slow it down. It might even destroy it, depending on the severity of how much they give in. This is also, they have Biden in the White House. So he might come in and help him out. Historically speaking, from a political perspective, he advertises himself as a very pro-union political person. So he might, kind of like with the railroad, we had that strike with their union, uh, I believe it was a couple of fiscal quarters ago, and he came in and just knocked him down. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes in that perspective. But on to the comments section from this news article and I suspect I suspect though most most people don't have the mindset of you know how much is the car going to cost when they buy it how's it going to affect consumers how's it going to how's it going to invest grandma who's invested in the company with her 401k that invests in general stock but I just I just just guessing that most of the comments are going to be pejorative towards him but let's dive in let's see and unfortunately like most of the Detroit the comment section is Rudimentary to say the least. There's not a lot of like thumbs up. Respect. What? No, there. Is that a counter? I don't. I. It looks like there is a rudimentary counter. All right. But not a lot of traffic. All right, let's just dive in. Somebody named of Carl J says, quote, I believe Rouse could be correct. GM loves to pay lots of, quote, creative counting shell game to look at profitability and satisfying shareholders. Even though GM is showing huge profits, the actual picture might be totally different, unquote. Someone by the name of Randy D said, quote, The UAW's demand of a 32-hour work week is offensive to me, and I'm a UAW retiree. If I could work <clears throat> if I could work a 60-hour week, so can you, unquote. Someone responded to him, actually Carl J again, saying, quote, Agree, back in the day, if you're told you're working six to seven days a week, you just did it, no questions asked, unquote. I think that's also part of a cultural transition we see in the United States as more and more people acquiesce in responsibility and going above and beyond. Most people, especially when you see the, the trends when people are just crying just because they have to work eight hours, the men mentally Americans are 
Well, mentally and physically, Americans are quite weak these days, unfortunately, to say the least. Now, it looks like somebody by the name of James N. said, quote, If the UAW and auto corporations believe they're going to pass along the costs of settlements, they are making a huge mistake. New vehicle prices are already through the roof, and like myself, folks are going to be driving their vehicles for many years. Hope they are realizing this, unquote. Which, if you're in terms of ROI for personal financing advice, which I should clarify, I don't give financial advice. I'm not telling you what stocks to buy or not. If you look at the best way to get money out of a vehicle, like to actually get the value of it, you drive it until the wheels fall off, basically. It's not glamorous because you're not as cool with like Johnny down the street, you got a new car or something, but it is best for your pocketbook more often than not. Trying to find a couple more comments here. Let's see. Some by Clayton I saying, quote, Mr. Rouse and Miss Barra, CEO, are aware of the competition and have looked at the cliff coming up and still have offered a 20% raise. Keep up the entire team and promise to keep all the plants open. I'm not a negotiator or UAW member, but it sounds attractive to me. And I'm sure a lot of folks relying on GM paycheck agree too. Uh, interesting enough, someone responded to that person saying this so-called Miss... Oh, no, okay, no, this is a separate comment. Not the best interface. It says, so a comment to a comment. We got some conversations going here. So Mr. School the World said, quote, this so-called misinformation, I haven't heard any of it, weird. Someone responded to this person by the name of Matt S. saying, you haven't been following Fane and the UAW's false narrative, unquote. So interestingly enough, oh, someone by the name of Rick R. said, Base pay of $82,000 per year, that's hardly poverty wages. How un, ew, how entitled is that guy? 82000 He thinks that's poverty? Another thing I did... Americans have never really seen true poverty, most of them, or true hunger. The sense of entitlement in the United States is getting ridiculous, I would say. Like, the amount of people who have faced, faced true hardship, needless to say, they have not. And I would say it's... A, some people should because it, I would say most people should because it builds character needed to grow and develop. But that's just my three cents. Let's see here. Another one saying common R saying all EV future. We'll see about that. So interestingly enough, I thought they were going to be all pejorative. It seems about maybe 60, 40, 50, 50 between positive to the GM president and negative to him. Now let me know in the comments. Very interesting political move. And again, the GM and the United Auto Workers, well, United Auto Workers contribute so much to political campaigns. They're basically a political movement in and of itself. Well, second only to perhaps the teachers' unions. But when it comes to moves on the political chessboard, you finally have someone from GM sounding off like they have a pair and saying, this is our perspective. Here are the things we think are being misrepresentative. Here's what we're offering. He's the president. But then you have Mary Barr over here. She's the CEO. And interestingly enough, maybe it's playing a game of politics, a good, buy, good guy, bad guy kind of thing. Might that be their approach, perhaps? It'll be interesting to see. Maybe that's a negotiation tactic. And I can't help but imagine what all the shareholders are doing. I can't. I can only imagine they're calling up Mary Barr and sending letters to all the companies saying, for the love of God, do not increase too much because we're going to go bankrupt again. And my shares, their shares will be worth nothing. Or you're already more expensive than Tesla. What on earth are you are you doing? But it'll be interesting to see. Let me know in the comments. What are your thoughts on his article? Do you think his statements were accurate in calling out misinformation? 
was it inf misinformation in and of itself? A wise man once said, you said the tr truth lies somewhere in between based on the statements he was making and what I've seen thus far in the conversation and with the negotiations going back and forth, I venture to think he's on point more often than not. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40-year hyperinflation, God charge three. Should really, really charge four, but I'm a generous man, though it is still free to click the subscribe button. Other interesting political news, you have General Motors CEO Mary Barra interviewing and defending the offer that she gave to the United Auto Workers recently. Now, interestingly enough, in terms of being professionalism, CBA, what was it, CNBC, the last person who interviewed her had the audacity to show up in a dress shirt and a tie. He didn't even suit up, as all men should always do, because you look best that way. And this gentleman, the interviewer, did have the fortitude to actually put a modicum of effort into meeting a CEO. Although I would actually venture, anytime you leave the house, you should be wearing a suit. Society could use a little bit of a classing up, but that's just me. So he is wearing a little bit of a suit, and he's from CBS interviewing Mary Barra. Interestingly enough, in front of a Cadillac, which is an ice-powered Cadillac, as you can see the exhaust, so it uses an internal combustion engine. Just from marketing, I think that might be a hilarious kind of fail because Mary is very proud of going EV. She wants Cadillac to be the first brand of the four brands they own, four brands being GMC, Chevrolet, Buick, and Cadillac. She wants Cadillac to be the first full EV fleet, presumably by, or specifically by 2030, the whole, all the company brands going full EV by 2035, which is a very aggressive timeline when you think of how few fiscal quarters relative to the company businesses are left to hit those points. And again, a lot of changes are going to be made or need to be made in order to hit those goals. But without too much further ado, I'll play the clip. And then I am appreciating, if you have suggestions for new software I could use for real-time production picture-in-picture, I would really appreciate suggestions. I've looked at forums and I've tried a couple, but I don't know if it's because of the specific brand of webcam that I'm using. It's a 4K Razer camera. I don't know if it's just not compatible with the other brands, but the camera either doesn't work or it crashes when I'm trying to do the picture-in-picture. -picture. So any feedback you have, greatly appreciated. And that's how we can make the show better together. And also it does help if you take the time to like as well as subscribe to the channel. Of course, thank you. Tony, good morning. We want to get right to Mary. Mary, thank you for being with us here on CBS Mornings. Having your plant in Missouri offline, 4,000 workers or so on strike, what does that do for General Motors' ability to keep production lines moving? Well, you know, at, at Wentzville, the line's not moving, and uh, we build two, well, actually three very important products there. Uh, just launched the Chevrolet Colorado and the GMC Canyon. Uh, these are mid-sized trucks that are in very, very strong demand. They're great vehicles, as well as our cargo van that's been in strong demand for a, over a decade. So this, you know, this is, uh, you know, going to have an impact, uh, especially when you look at the demand of these vehicles. You know, we uh, have some in the field, and we're going to continue to work to meet customer needs, but uh, this has an impact. In addition, some of our plants, even, even assembly plants, have con what we call contiguous stamping plants next to them that might service other plants. So uh, this is going to have an impact probably beyond uh, just Wentzville. You know, it, and you know, I think one of the things that people are have heard the union say is that if there was a strike, it was because automakers didn't come to the table with a good enough deal. How do you respond to that? Well, first of all, we've been at the table since July 18th. We received over a thousand demands, and I'm proud of you know both bargaining teams that they've been working through all of those demands. Now, 
I would really appreciate it. Again, I know we have some people from the UAW tuning in. I appreciate your experiences and your comments because, again, more data the better, and it makes everything more interesting. We've heard this a couple times from different sources saying GM's gotten a thousand demands from the UAW. And does anyone, and again, maybe I'm um, being overambitious, but does anyone have any text messages or email chains? And is it, I feel like if, if we're able to show some solid proof, it might make everyone more comfortable everyone thinking we're all on, the, all on the same page because we're hearing different stories from different sides. And again, if they did truly get a thousand requests, that's a lot. I can't imagine how much you have to go in terms of having an accountant calculate the actual impact that just a little change would have in the demands from the union and how it would affect the business long-term. You have to think about, well, how much is that little change going to cost in the aggregate overall? How much will it increase the cost of goods for that one specific product? Because again, these different vehicles, some are more profitable than others. It's why a lot of these brands are killing small compact vehicles, unfortunately, because they don't make money. Traditionally, they're built to a price point because it's a budget consumer and they can only afford so much. So they're actually usually, if you have to pay someone the same wage, one person is working on a Cadillac, they're making the new Cadillac SUV. Another person is working on the now defunct, I believe, Chevy Cruze. Well, those people, they're, if they're getting paid the same wage, the Cadillac, very profitable, historically speaking, but the Chevy Cruze, I mean, you might be losing money on that. More often than not, you are. But I partially digress. We put four offers on the table. Each one we iterated after listening because part of negotiation is problem solving. Understand the challenge and find a solution that works for everyone. I'm very proud of the offer that we put on the table last night or yesterday because it has it's a record from a gross wage increase perspective in our 115-year history, as well as maintaining strong uh, health care, world-class health Okay, so I don't know why... They're putting on the screen, but she's not bringing it up. So the wage offer was a 20% increase over four years and 10% raise in the first year. Healthcare, world-class healthcare that our employees enjoy. And I think one thing that's very important is from a job security perspective. In this contract, we have product and work for every single one of our plans. And that didn't happen by accident. It happened because a few years back as we started to plan for this historic transformation from internal combustion vehicles to EVs, that we would have work for all of our people because we wanted them to come along with us on this journey. It's one of the reasons why we developed power units internally so they could be built at the plants where today an internal combustion engine is built. So we've been working on this very, uh, very hard. So, um, you know, we have a historic offer on the table. We think we got it. We're at the table now, ready to keep going and get this resolved as quickly as possible. Your offer was about a 20% pay raise in addition to, to what you were just talking about there. The union has been asking for up to a 40% pay raise. They want a four-day work week, return of pensions, uh, among other things. Why not just give them what they're asking for? Because one of the most important things in my responsibility that I take very seriously <coughs> excuse me, is we have to make sure the company is going to succeed for the next 115 years. And that means we need to invest in the products you see around me. If we don't invest... Uh, in new products and have products customers want to buy, that impacts the number of vehicles we build, which directly impacts how many people are part of our manufacturing team. So we need to be able to keep investing in new products. And, and right now we're at a peak because we're investing not only in next generation internal combustion engine vehicles to make sure the customer demand is still there <laughs> along with improving fuel efficiency, but also- <laughs> The customer demand for EVs. Oh, she uh, I, I did some research. I did the did a little fact checking. She, Mary Barrow does not do stand up, but that's pretty good because the customers, they're not demanding that. 
more often than not, they want internal combustion engines, because again, they'll last a quarter of a century or a million miles. Well, if it's a Toyota or a Honda. And also third parties can actually service them with maintenance and parts. EVs are like smartphones, you're locked in. And you look at the, what the consumer demand is when you do polls and you see what they're buying, mostly ICE. And now, or are more people open to the idea of the hybrids, which I would argue also not great for long-term ROI, because again, 20, 10, $20,000 batteries in that thing. Once the battery's dead, it just becomes a regular car with an internal combustion engine. But I partially digress. In brand new EVs. So th this is a critical juncture where investing is very important. One of your competitors said the deal that UAW wants would push them into bankruptcy. Can GM be successful if you met all their demands? Uh, actually, um, no. The demands that, which has been said, and we said are over, for the life of the contract, the initial demands were over $100 billion. Uh, we're, we still have a ways to go with the offer they put on the table last night. I was going to say, I'm sure the UAW doesn't want you, they definitely don't want to work, do the work in terms of like calculating how much you would have in terms of the impact on the business. Interestingly enough, I had, um, so she's saying it would cost the company $100 billion for GM. Um, I saw two different articles when I was doing the numbers a couple weeks ago. They're saying it was about $80 billion and a couple, one or two did say 100 Either number, that, that's a lot of money. Mary, real quick, the, the UAW has made a big play about CEO pay. Uh, you're very well compensated, reportedly nearly $30 million. If GM can afford to pay you, and that's your total compensation, uh, why not pay the auto workers that 40% raise and just get this done? Well, you know, when you talk about executive comp, for instance, my, my comp, over 92% of the compensation is performance linked. In addition to the 20%. Uh, the opposite of unions, she said this word called performance linked. Whereas traditionally, unions, you just get, you get paid more based on tenure percent um, increases in salaries that we have on the table right now our employees have been enjoying profit sharing for several years and, and through the last few years it's now if you're a UAW member for the GM company let me know do you see these profit sharing because I've heard it more and more I'd love to see this is the first time we're hearing this in terms of watching the video maybe she'll go into the percentage of how many of the workers receive it and what values that is but I've heard different results from the different big three brands in the comments I love more data do you do you, do you see a lot of that? Or is it pretty rare? Are there some, what are the conditions put upon it? Again, I'd be fascinated to see what your experiences are in the situation. It's been uh, record profit sharing. And so the way that General Motors is set up is that when the company does well, everyone does well. Mary Barra, thank you so much. I got to send it back to New York. Guys, Chris, thank you. Interesting interview. Again, I wish, I wish she had all the data in terms of like when she said, you know, why don't you know, you, you got a X percent raise. Why don't you increase the wage workers by that? To which if she, again, more ammo, the better when you're having a debate or and I know this is an interview, so it's not so much as a debate, but people are asking that question more and more. And if you want, I'm thinking about doing a whole breakdown of all the big three executives compensation, and then we can compare what a percent increase would be for the executives versus the aggregate of all the UW members. If that'd be something of fascination to you. Let me know in the comments. I'll put that together. And, in terms of she should have the numbers by now where she could say off the bat, because again, just like in Shark Tank, if you're an executive or a business owner or an entrepreneur, you need to know your numbers to the T or more accurately to the penny, perhaps. Personally, with my tech company, when you do, when we do drop-offs where we, it's a little thing like prospecting, you have a little box and you put some knickknacks in there, one pager about technology. I calculate the cost to the penny. I actually calculate how much it costs to use packaging tape per drop-off. Incidentally enough, it is three cents per drop-off. Quite literally down to the penny, I keep tracking that. So she, she should definitely know 
she everyone knows the percentage of increase she got from her salary. That's on every newspaper around the globe. She should be able to confidently say, yes, I got a 18, whatever percent increase. That costs the company $2 million, whatever it is. If we did that for the UAW, for all employees of the UAW employees who work at GM, or I would say members who are employees of GM, if you did that for all that, that would increase it by billions or whatever the numbers is. She should definitely have that number is good to go, but that's just my three cents. What are your thoughts? Do you think she made a good defense of the ideals? Do you think she, her line of thinking is correct for the company's long-term outlook? Of course, interesting to see how does she look in the comments? And unfortunately it did actually close out. So I apologize if there's a pop-up advertisement, unless it's on, oh, it's on mute. We got lucky today. All right. Now, in terms of the comments, this video got 20,000 views posted by CBS Mornings. Got 182 likes. I, I suspect the comments, the YouTube comments, again, I would love to see the demographic data if I worked at, if I owned Google or YouTube of like the average job, like who's tuning in, their job, their, we get some that enters geographic location. But it'd be fascinating to see more of that data of what makes up the comments. I'd venture to say more people working hourly wages would watch YouTube. I actually don't know. It might be a 50-50 split between career paths. Like for GM specifically, do the same equal number of UAW members or um, warehouse workers and assembly line workers, is that number or percentage the same as the executives and the salaried employees? Do they both watch at the same rate? I, that'd be fascinating to see. I, I have no idea. Let me know in the comments. I, I'd love to hear all your experiences. Now, it looks like the most popular comment by number of likes comes from Mr. Broderick Williams, 9002. Sounds pretty fancy. And this person says, quote, she mentioned customers a few times. Your workforce is your most loyal customer base you have because if you can afford to buy a car, they're going to buy what you make, unquote. This person got 84 view, uh, likes, which, no, that is a dumb comment. I say that because, and if you're in the UAW or GM employee, you know this, like my family knows this, you get the friends and family discount. That's one of the reasons, it's kind of cool. If you go to Michigan, you'll see a lot of big three cars on the road. You're not going to see a lot of Japanese vehicles. You'll see a lot of Fords, a lot of Chevys, a GM product. You'll see a lot of Chryslers. It's because if you work there, you get a special friends and family discount to purchase the vehicle. That's the only reason they sold any of the Cadillac ELR, which was just the Chevy Volt with fancier leather, only two doors. Granted, it did look quite attractive. It was a beautiful design, I believe. But that comment, I don't know if this person just doesn't work in the automotive community. I understand the concept they're saying, but again, not really accurate. Now, let me see here. Someone by the name of... Duncan Bleak, 3819, fancy name. She said, or this person says, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did and never will. If there is no struggle, there is no progress, unquote. And this person actually quoted Frederick Douglass. And he says, or presumably he says, stand with the workers. All right, he got 62 likes. Someone by the name of Ron Kirk said, quote, Mary Barra took home 29 million last year in compensation. That is a that is obscene greed and the public policy and public policy allows this to happen, unquote. This uneducated person got 64, 62 likes. Which again, public policy is a it's the company. If you don't like it, become a shareholder and vote down on the initiatives like raising their salary. 
This is the free market. Now, someone says, responded to that by the name of David Miltek, 6647. This person said, quote, so what, is she a CEO or a janitor? Her decisions can mean a difference between a company becoming successful, running or shutting down. So what if she got 29 millions? Divide that 29 million by the number of workers, which is 167,000, you get $170 per worker. Big deal, it hurts you to see others making it. Now workers should get paid, but their demands are ridiculous and childish, childishly high. Huge pay increase and to top it off, a 32 hour work week and it has a laughing emoji, unquote. I do appreciate this person did the math because so few people want to do the math these days, but it is true, that's $170 per worker. Which, hilariously enough, would be taxed by the government that they vote for, and the union dues would also take another part of it. So, a couple responses that are more positive about GM. Let me see here. Someone by the name of the Royal Bad Boy, this person said, quote, Have you ever seen Mary Barra, what Mary Barra makes in a year? 11000 an hour plus $28 million. They're not very good at grammar. I apologize. $11,000 plus an hour, $28 million plus a year. This woman shouldn't even show her face. I got 58 likes. Which is interesting. So anecdotally speaking, when I talk to folks at GM and I talk to some of the people there, interestingly enough, when you talk to GM employees who work um, more on the executive side, even what you would consider entry level, but they're working at the headquarters and stuff, a lot of them were telling me that the, the line workers loved Mary Barra. Perhaps that was, of course, before the negotiations were happening. But it's kind of fascinating to see the different perspectives you see based on you know, where, some, where someone's working, their experience, what have you. And actually, if you that'd be a great question. If you work at the UAW, before the contract negotiation currently, did you have a positive impression of Mary Barra as a leader? And did you care about her compensation package? That I'd be fascinated to see what that might difference of opinion might be before and after this came all about. It looks like, yeah, most, oh, there's still a fair amount of comments. Someone, let's see, some by name of Brock11223 said, quote, I don't care what the answer is, the CEO gives it Gives all it says she is just greedy and not willing to share the same rewards for the union workers. It's just unfair. CEOs are selfish to the core and just exploiting the situation, unquote. So she's got 34 likes, which she she did say that they have the profit sharing. Now, again, I want the number. I love to have the numbers of what's the percentage of workers that get to participate in that? What are the parameters? How much is it? She said it was record amounts. What are they? So interestingly enough, not too surprised to see, let's see here. Uh, yeah, I'd say about 70% are negative or 70% of the comments in the YouTube video of that are against Mary Barrow and about 30% are for Mary and General Motors. So interestingly enough, let me know, does this change your opinion of her? Do you think she did a good job in the interview? I'd love to hear what you have to say. Now going on to the business blunder of the day, we have Kraft Singles being recalled due to a choking hazard. Now it looks like Kraft Heinz announced a recall of the Kraft Single Cheese Slices 
after customers reported choking on stray pieces of plastic wrap. Definitely not good. Now, they note that a manufacturing error in a wrapping machine used to enclose the cheese slices in the plastic, the issue in some cases caused a thin strip of plastic film to remain even after the customers took off the packaging. Now, Kraft Heinz continued to say the company has fixed since fixed the error and inspected the machine so it will not happen again. They note that about 84,000 cases of the product were affected. Now, thankfully, no injuries or deaths were reported thus far. And they, I was going to say, so it's not just death. Statistically not deadly, but now a risk is not just to those who are lactose intolerant, but the rest of the children who eat it as well. Actually, let me know in the comments. If you're an adult, have you ever eaten a Kraft single? I can't fathom. Oh, that's I, I, that's got to be something you stop by the time you're a teenager, right? I would think. I haven't bought. I've never purchased that. Now that I think about it, it was in the you know it's in the refrigerator when you were a kid. It's kind of in the cheese drawer, but. I want to say by high school you grow out of that fad. Let me know. That'd be fascinating to see. But it is sad because presumably the majority of people who are eating this are children. And, of course, you don't want to have children choking hazards because obviously you don't want anything detrimental to happen. But nevertheless, a product pretty much designed for kids to have a choking hazard, that's that's got to be the business blunder of the day. Thank you again for taking the time to tune in. Again, I know it's ambitious, but we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September. So if you could click that subscribe button, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, all of the comments help the channel grow and develop, and the feedback is much appreciated, whether it's critiquing how I can improve my speaking abilities or it's suggesting a new software where we can do picture-in-picture in real-time production so we could incorporate some of these clips into the production of the show as well. All the feedback is greatly appreciated. And of course, leaving a like also helps with the algorithm and gets more people to tune into the show, and it helps out as well. Also, and lastly, don't forget to take the time to Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just, just stay safe and fight the good fight.